Do you know what your name means? Have you, did you ever have to do that, that thing in, in elementary school where you look up the, the etymology of your name and you understand what it means? I had to do that in elementary school. My name is James. It comes actually from Jacob, uh, which means supplanter or deceiver. Um, let's go with the last name, a little easier, a little less, uh, little less freight with it. Benson, son of Ben, that one's easy. Um, do you know what your name means? If, if you had to have a name based on your character, what would your name be? Would, would some of us be named perhaps a little frazzled in the morning, a lot frazzled in the afternoon? Would some of us be named uh, arriving five minutes early is too late? Would some of us be named, I need to bring a gift everywhere I go so that I am viewed as thankful? You know, if we had to have our character in our name, what would your name be? My mother would joke that, that my name would probably be the last time I was early was when I was born. What would our, if we had to be named by our character, what would we, our names be? We're going to look at the story of Jacob today. Like I said, uh, James is actually a derivative of Jacob. Uh, and Jacob, we're going to talk about his name, Deceiver. And what we're going to find out, as you kind of heard from the children's sermon, is that when we strive with God, we are broken, we are named, and we are blessed. So when we strive with God, when we wrestle with God, we are broken, we are named, and we are blessed. This is, this is what we can see from the example of Jacob. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. So if, uh, take out your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to start in verse 22. I'd invite you during the week to actually read through the story of Jacob. And so it goes through several chapters um, and read prior to this point and then after um, as well, read his encounter with his brother then in chapter 33 after this encounter with God. And so we are in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. Hear God's word as I share it with you. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Yabok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the, sh- uh, the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is God's Word for us today. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we come before You and before Your Word to be instructed. Teach us how we can live in a way that, has ref- that reflects Your grace to Jacob and reflects the way that You changed the course of his life. Remind us that You can change the course of our lives and that the fears and the hurts and the hang-ups that we bring with us and that we try to overcome, you are able to overcome alone. Strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty, just a, just a vapor in the wind, but you, O oh God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I said, when we strive with God, we are broken, we are named, and we are blessed. We want to start out with this idea that we do create identities for ourselves. In fact, our culture encourages us to create identities for ourselves. And (coughs) there are a number of ways that we can create that identity. Some of us have carved out an identity as professionals. We are people who dress the part. We are people who look the part. We are people who act the part. There are some people who have carved out their their, uh, identity as the casual people in the group. Uh, I often joke that if I could exist in jeans and a sweatshirt, I would be the happiest person on the face of the planet. I want to be casual, but my identity was formed in a house with a couple of teachers. And so I tend to look a little bit more professional than, than jeans and a sweatshirt. Some people, your identity is that of fun. You are the life of the party. It, the party does not begin until you come into the room. That is your identity, and you love it every minute of the day, unless there aren't people around, and then you find people. Some of you... And some people in this world carve out their identity as the proper people in the world. Everything is in place. Everything, every, the button is correct. There are the correct number of inches between the fork and the spoon, if I can remember which is on which. My uh, late grandmother, my mother's mother, I often described as uh, when people would ask what she was like, I said, you know what, do you remember the queen mum? You know, the hat and the matching bag, everything, that was my grandmother, dressed to the nines all the time. Even as, even as dementia started to, to set in, she could get herself dressed for the day, and she looked the part. We create identities for ourselves, and we live into those things, and they are deep-seated within us. If we can remember those identities when dementia starts to set in, then we have really driven them deep into who we are. Names in the Old Testament were often a window to someone's identity. Abraham, father of nations. Isaac, he laughs. Ishmael. God hears. They were often 
windows into people's identity or into the circumstances around which they were born. And often that carried through their lives. As I said, Jacob lived into his identity of deceiver quite well. When Jacob was born, his brother Esau was born first and Jacob was at his heel. To grasp the heel in Hebrew meant to deceive. Oh, did he live into it. Esau came in the one day and he was famished. He thought he was going to die. He was so hungry. And he was willing to sell his birthright, his inheritance, to, to Jacob for a bowl full of lentil soup. How many of us like lentil soup here? Few of us. Most of us are like, hmm. There are other things that I'd sell my birthright for, but not lentil soup. And yet, Jacob was able to trick him out of that. When Isaac was old and couldn't see any longer and his senses were failing him, Jacob found an opportunity to steal Jacob's blessing from him. And he tricked his father into thinking he was Esau, so he would pronounce the family blessing on him, only to have Esau come in moments later and discover the deception and want to kill his brother Isaac. He lived into the identity of a deceiver quite well. Jacob wanted to win. He he didn't like to lose. And he did whatever he needed to do to ensure that he went that he won. Now, as we see in this encounter with God, Jacob comes in. And he encounters this man. He is where Jacob is in this passage is he is between two deceptions. He had broken his relationship with Laban, his uncle for whom he had worked for 14-plus years. And, and, and Laban was not keen to have him around any longer, but God had called him to go back to Canaan, which is where his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him, was. So he was in between Laban, who didn't want him, and Esau, who wanted to kill him. Sounds like a great situation, doesn't it? And it's there that he is wrestling because Jacob no longer has to think about himself. If you notice in Jacob's prayer as, he's, uh, as he prays, uh, back, if you read this part, verse 9 through 21, Jacob prays to God, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. And part of his prayer is that, that the women and the children might be overtaken if something bad happens. Jacob has something more to live for than just his, himself again. Jacob has something more that he has to worry about than just himself. And that is pressing on him, and he doesn't know what to do because his life of deception, his, his life of trickery, his life of lies has come back, and he doesn't know where to go because if it were just me, I could probably trick my way out of this. But, but, but what happens if, if my children and, and, and my wives, and most of all, if you, if you know Jacob's heart, what if Rachel dies? And he is struggling, 
and he is wrestling in this moment, and that's where God shows up on the scene, and he starts to wrestle with God in the night by himself, no one else around except all of his doubt and all of his fear. And Jacob wrestles with God in this moment. And in the process of wrestling with God, his hip is wrenched. And he walks with a limp. And that that limp, that wrenching, is God showing him that, that you think that you can do this all on your own, but I am going to show you that you cannot do it all on your own. I am going to take away even what the world values in terms of protection. Jacob, in, in those days, a limp and handicapped would have been very poorly viewed upon. And of course, if you're going to meet someone who last time you knew wanted to kill you, a limp is not a good thing to have, is it? Suboptimal. And yet God is there saying, you don't need your legs, you don't need your physical ability, you don't need your your cunning mind to get through this situation. I'm going to show you that dependence on me will leave you in a position that you cannot take care of yourself, that all that is left is full dependence upon me. God will break those things that prevent us from fully reaching Him. He will break what we try to build up. What is it that we have tried to build up in our lives as unassailable? What is it that we have tried to build up in our identities that, that we can fully control and we can fully understand and, and, and no one else can touch it because I have worked so hard and I have put my life into this and so it's okay? Is it our family? It's a, it's a powerful one. Oftentimes, we, you know, the, the relief on parents when they're like, my kids, are, are, they're paying for their own apartments. They are, they are taking care of themselves. They are, they are successful in their careers. Whew, I did it. No one can take that away from me. It, or is it, is it in being close to family? Is it, is it the fact that, that it can be a twisted form of it? Is it the, that I am the part of the family that actually made it? Or I'm the part of the family that, that actually knows what's going on? And, and so um, I, I'm, I'm the one that actually can, can see things for the way they are. Are they our professional identities that, that we have been successful in business or we have been successful in teaching or we have been successful in nursing or we have been successful in whatever it is that we have done and so that is my identity that I've tried to build up. Those things can be barriers to God when, when they are on the throne of our hearts. When, when they are in the middle of who we are to be, where God is to be, God is going to knock those things over. 
He is going to destroy those things so that all we have left is Him, so that at the end of the day, we cannot claim any success for ourselves, but it is God only who can claim the success. What is it that we're trying to build? What is it that we need to allow to be knocked over? What is it that we need to allow to be broken? What is that in our lives? Think back to the beginning for a second. What was that name that you'd choose for yourself that uh, would identify your character? As I mentioned, Jacob lived into his name, Deceiver. As I was reading through the commentaries, uh, scholar Victor Hamilton said, up to this point, if you had to choose a name for Jacob, probably the best name for Jacob would be Jacob Will Rule. Jacob was the king of his own castle. Jacob was in charge of his own life. He was the one who set the tone, who set the tempo, and who set the direction. And now he is at a point where his own work has gotten him into trouble. His own work has gotten him into a place where he can't get out of it. And what we find here is that that part of the blessing that God gives to him that night is that he gives Jacob a new name. You You will no longer be called Jacob. You will no longer be called deceiver. You are going to be called Israel. Okay, what does that mean? You're no longer going to be called deceiver. You will be called God will rule. Or let the Lord rule. That is the meaning of Israel. Jacob has been displaced from the throne of his own life, and he has allowed God to be in the center. And his identity has changed. He has been given a new name where where it's no longer him trying to figure things out, but it is God who is going to rule over his own life. God is going to rule over his circumstance. And so he can now have no more fear over what his brother is going to do because it's no longer his brother who will decide whether Jacob is still in charge because Jacob has laid down his own life in front of God and said, you can rule. You can be in charge. He receives a new name. What we find is that God won't simply break the things that prevent us from knowing Him better. Yes, God is going to do that. If it's, if it's family, if it's profession, if it's, if it's relationships, if it's whatever it is, God is going to knock it down, but he's going to also give us a new name as well. (coughs) We are going to be given new identities in Christ, and that's part of what, what we find in Christ, isn't it? We find a new identity. We're no longer having to be in charge. We no longer have to be five minutes early or I'm late. Pastor Todd Balsinger, uh, was one of those people who wanted to be five minutes early or else he was late. Of course, being in ministry, it's really bad if you show up five minutes late to like a wedding or a funeral. Generally frowned upon. Generally. 
And so he was always early, but his wife would always come to the worship service late, and it drove him nuts after he retired from from full-time ministry. It drove him nuts. And what he found is that had become an idol to him. And what he found is that his wife's lateness became a spiritual discipline towards allowing God to be in control, knowing that the worship service would still start without him there right at the beginning. He wanted everything lined up. He wanted everything just the way it should be. He wanted to observe the clock more religiously than he wanted to observe God. And he allowed that to be a spiritual discipline to take that part of his life out of the center and to allow God into the center. God gives us a new identity. What is our name? Beloved, as, as Pastor Dina said to the kids, you're a mess, you are loved. More fearfully and wonderfully than you could ever imagine. So when we strive with God, we are broken, we are named, but then we are also blessed. Now, blessed is a word that has a lot of freight in our in our. Uh, day and age. It's, a, it's something that gets bantered about. You can find it on the internet, hashtag blessed. And oftentimes what it means is that we're fortunate or that we've got some benefit that, that has accrued to us, and, and, and so we're, we just kind of throw it around. In Sunday school we talked about it could mean lucky, could mean fortunate, it could mean that, that I've just got some things, I'm happy, but blessing here in this passage is not that, that Jacob's saying, oh, I'm happy, I'm lucky, I know how, how Esau is going to respond to me. He still does not know how Esau is going to respond to him. But he is blessed in the fact that his identity is now no longer in himself. His circumstances no longer dictate who he is, but rather God is at the center and that he is now I don't want to say immune, but he is now not phased by the circumstances that are around him. When we strive for God and when we strive with God, we find contentment in his grace and in his provision and in his identity as opposed to our own. Philippians 4, 12, and 13 are verses that get bantered around and get taken out of context all the time. It's a coffee cup verse. Uh, You know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We often will say that in difficult times. We will will call that up, uh, and ball players will talk about that. Listen, if, if that version of Philippians 4.13 were correct, then I would be in the NHL. Here we are. We have to read verse 12 to understand what Paul is saying there. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. I have found that 
The secret of contentment is not in my circumstance, but be found, being found squarely in the will of God with God in the center of my life. That is the definition of blessing. Where our external circumstance no longer dictates our identity, no longer dictates who we are, but that the throne of our life is occupied by the Almighty, and that dictates everything else. And so we can be moved by the world as He is moved. We can engage with the world as God would engage with the world, but our identity is unassailable in who Jesus is. Scripture is clear that God wants to be a part of our life. The story of Scripture is a relentless pursuit of God when we would go every direction but God. And in striving with, not against God, we learn more about God's character. That is a blessing. His love, His faithfulness, His goodness. Jacob didn't want God's name in order to, to control God. Jacob wanted to learn more about God's character. Who are you? Tell me your name. Tell me your characteristic qualities. Are you able to occupy my life in a way that I am not able to? So do we hear that? Do we, do we long for the character of God in our own lives? Or, or do we take God and we put him on a shelf throughout the week like a good luck charm. Just bring him out whenever, whenever we need something. Lord, I need to get through Freedom Road as quickly as possible. And so, or is he there, Lord, I need you to occupy every fiber of my being because on my own, I am deceiver, I am defeated, I am inadequate. I'm lost, I am lonely, I am powerless. But with you, I am found, I am loved, I am valued, I am seen, I am a part of a community. We find that in our wrestling with God. Did you know that you can wrestle with Him? It was no accident that God was walking by the Yavok River uh, that night. That wasn't an oops. I just happened to run across Jacob, and boy, is he bad news. I guess I'm in a wrestling match. But he went definitively and deliberately in the path of Jacob. What would it be like to find our identity so in Him that we weren't shaken by the problems of this world or by the problems of our life? That's the question that this passage brings up. When we strive with God, we are broken, we are named, and we are blessed. Let's pray. Lord, help us to know You. Help us to ask time and time again who you are. Give us the courage to, to allow the parts of us 
that are afraid and that doubt and that wonder and that are looking for help to wrestle with all of who you are. Knowing that you are faithful and good and that you will provide for us in ways that we can't even imagine. That our identities would be secure in who you are. Lord, we give you thanks for Jacob, for his faith, and for all that it teaches us. Help us to live into that this week. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.